This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. We enter now into this um, Holy of Holies, Lord, uh, once again to look at the, um, the sufferings of Christ. Help us, Lord, to, uh, to be there. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 26, 57. Matthew 26, 57. They that had laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him afar off unto the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priest and elders and all the councils sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death but found none, yea, though many false witnesses came. They found they none. At the last came two false witnesses and said, this fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. The high priest answered and said unto them, answerest thou nothing? Is What is it which these witness against thee? But Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God, tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said unto him, thou hast said, Nevertheless, I say unto you, hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest ran his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need we have witnesses? Behold, now you have heard his blasphemy. What think ye? They answered and said, He's guilty of death. Okay, now, in our last study, you remember how we saw how Christ, having been betrayed by Judas Iscariot, Having seen his disciples all run away from him, he stands there alone. He's under arrest by those who were sent by the high priest. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Under arrest, we see these words in verse 57. Verse 57, they that had laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. So this time now, it's finally come, it's arrived now, where Christ told his enemies who had assembled to really murder him, and he had said to them in Luke twenty-two fifty-three, Luke twenty-two fifty-three, this is your hour and the power of darkness. With these words, Christ told those that were there to try him, he said, this is your time. This is your time right now. You've been given power over me, like he told Pilate later, you could have no power except what was given you. He's saying, you, he's saying to these people also, you have been given power over me. This is your opportunity now. This is your opportunity to have all your power 
to vent all your anger and rage against me. This will only come once in your life. It's your hour of decision. You have this time now to decide. Rage or repent. Fall down before me or rise up over me. So this is what he means. This is what he means when he said, this is your hour and the power of darkness. The scene here, it's so striking, this scene, because Christ, what is it a scene of? It's a scene of Christ the prisoner. It's the scene of Christ the prisoner. And this scene is so striking that anybody who sees the scene, nobody can stay neutral. Nobody can stay neutral. The scene of Christ the prisoner demands that a position be taken with regard to Christ the prisoner. This is where the term, you've all heard this term, vis-a-vis, vis-a-vis, vis-a-vis. This is where you really see the full impact of this term, vis-a-vis, in this statement. Vis-a-vis, it means, it demands a position vis-a-vis Christ. Vis-a-vis is French. Vis-a-vis is French, and and the literal meaning of vis-a-vis in French is face-to-face, face-to-face. So Christ is here in this court, and he's looking vis-a-vis to each person who sees him there. See, Christ the prisoner is there vis-a-vis, face-to-face with everyone seeing him there in that court. And it's vis-a-vis, face-to-face, that Christ has one question for everyone seeing him there as a prisoner right now. Christ the prisoner is there vis-a-vis, face-to-face. He's there now also vis-a-vis, face-to-face with you and I seeing him there. And vis-a-vis, face-to-face, Christ has one question for them. Christ has one question for you and I as we see him there. And this one question that everyone must answer there vis-a-vis, face-to-face with Christ the prisoner is the same one question that you and I really have to, must answer vis-a-vis, face-to-face with Christ the prisoner. And that one question that all must answer in that courtroom, vis-a-vis, face-to-face with Christ the prisoner, in these scriptures that we're studying right now is the most important question in life and Christ has already asked it earlier and it's in Matthew 16, 15, Matthew 16, 15, he saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? That's the question that's on the table. This question that Christ asked vis-a-vis, face-to-face with every person, and there's never a time when that question is more important than right now in this scene, the scene of Christ the prisoner. Who is that? Who is that man, Jesus, who stands as a prisoner in the high priest's court. Who is he? Jesus Christ will be sentenced to death over the answer to that question, who is Jesus? Every person will be sentenced to judgment of eternal death in hell or welcomed into eternal life in heaven over that one question, who is Jesus? Who really is Jesus in this scene? In this scene, Jesus, he's the great high priest. He's the great high priest, and he's standing before the lower high priest. In this scene, Jesus is the great judge, and he's standing before the lesser judge in the Sanhedrin court. The high priest judge of the Sanhedrin court 
is driven by a prejudice as he tries Jesus, and as he drives forward, the high priest judge is completely unaware, blind to this real scene here. And it's really the high priest who's being tried in this court. The high priest judge is the one on trial, and he doesn't know it. He doesn't know it. The tribunal is sitting here, all these people, the elders, the scribes, to see if Jesus is guilty or not. But they've already made up their minds that Jesus is guilty. And what they have to do is just find evidence. That's all they're doing. They're on the hunt for evidence of his guilt so that they can legally pronounce the death sentence, which is really the murder. And to get this evidence, they've called many witnesses, many, many witnesses, verse 59, verse 59 through 60 here. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus, put him to death, but they found none. Though many false witnesses came, they found none. They found none. There were a lot that came, and they found none because all those false witnesses contradicted each other, and that was so frustrating for them. Mark 14, 55, Mark 14, 55, chief priests and all the council sought for a witness against Jesus to put him to death, found none. For many bear false witness against him, but their witness agreed not together. They were contradicting each other. That's a problem. But finally, finally comes two fault witnesses who at least did not contradict each other, who at least said the same thing. They agreed in verse 60, verse 60, at the last came two false witnesses and said, this fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to build in three days. That was the moment that the high priest felt that finally he had evidence that he needed to pronounce the death sentence. So he goes through this drama, this dramatic move. The high priest stands up in verse 62, verse 62, and the high priest arose. So the high priest knows that even though these two false witnesses have agreeing testimony, they're saying the same thing, the high priest knows he knows it's not true. He knows that. He knows it's not true because the high priest is very aware. Don't misunderstand. The high priest, the priest, the, the high priests, the elders, the scribes, they could quote Jesus. They knew everything about him. They were dumb. They were very smart. And they knew Jesus forward and backwards. And, they, and the high priest knows that Jesus was not referring to the temple when he said, destroy this temple. He was referring to his body. He knows that. And the high priest knows that Jesus was not saying that he was the destroyer. The high priest knows that Jesus in that sentence was saying that others were the destroyer. And the high priest knows that Jesus was always talking about himself being the restorer, not the destroyer, but the restorer of the temple. So the high priest knows all this. The high priest knows that Jesus has said that Jesus isn't the destroyer, he's the builder. Because the high priest could sit there and quote John 10.10. 10. The high priest could sit there and tell you, I know Jesus said, the thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and destroy. I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. He knows that Jesus is not, never has said he's the destroyer, he's the builder, he's the restorer. So 
now the high priest tries to get Jesus to defend himself. He just tries to get him, just say something. In verse 62, verse 62, the high priest arose and said unto him, answerest thou nothing? What is it that these witness against thee? But Jesus refuses to defend himself. In verse 63, verse 63, these words, but Jesus held his peace. I mean, what a scene in verse 63. It's, now it's the scene of Jesus held his peace. Jesus held his peace? Really? This is the same Jesus as John 1, where his, his name is not held his peace. His name is John 1, 1, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The name of Jesus is the Word. The Word does not hold his peace. The Word can be heard because the Word speaks. Because the word is not silent, the word communicates. Jesus is the word. And the word is the communication from God to man. As the word, Jesus is God's communication with man. Jesus is God's conversation with man. That's who Jesus is. He is the conversation between man and God. But here, in verse 63, Jesus, as the word, is silent. He's holding his peace. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, which means that Jesus is the word and that Jesus is God. That's what it means. Well, why would Jesus, as the word, and God not speak in verse 63? Well, the reason is revealed to us in one word in verse 63. In verse 63, Jesus held his peace. Jesus held back his word. He had a lot to say, but Jesus locked his lips. He locked his lips from speaking. Jesus here locked his lips so that the breath of his lips is held back. The breath of his lips is held back. Why? Because the breath of Jesus' lips as the word who is God would do something terrible if it was let loose. And that breath is described to us in Isaiah 11:4. Isaiah 11:4 says, he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. So he holds it back. He holds it back. He locks his lips so his breath of Jesus' lips. The breath of Jesus' lips would destroy them all. And he said at this point in, in history, he didn't come to do that. He didn't come to destroy, he said in Luke 9.56, Luke 9:56 The Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives but to save them. Jesus Christ has not come in this time to destroy men's lives but to save them. So in verse 63, Jesus Christ has locked his lips to stop the breath of his lips from destroying the wicked who are going to murder him. Therefore, verse 63, verse 63, Jesus held his peace. 
And he has remained silent because, why has he also remained silent? Because of who he is. Mark eleven twenty nine. Mark eleven twenty nine. he said about himself, I'm meek and lowly in heart. A meek person does not demand his rights. And therefore, Jesus is remaining silent when he had a right to set the record straight. And he says, no, I won't take that right. What right? Why? I'm meek and I'm lowly in heart. And he's remained meek because he's innocent. He's innocent. And the beauty of innocence here is seen in that Christ has decided not to lower himself to defend against these foolish accusations. He sees he can't win. He sees he can't win in this court. So with a love, really, for those who are attacking him, he decides to not counterattack his attackers. And he remains silent because this is the time. This is the time for Christ to be the sheep before the shears that's silent, not heard. Isaiah 53, 7, Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. So, false accusations in this court are swirling around Christ, and he's got a prejudicial hatred in his face. That's what's going on in this court. But Christ, in the middle of all these swirling accusations and prejudicial hatred, he's in a state of sweet innocence. And he's overlooking, he has chosen to overlook all of the prejudicial hatred, and etc., as he stays focused on one great work he's been sent to do. He's been sent as a Messiah lamb. He's been sent as the Lamb of God. That's going to be his work. That's his work. He says, uh, my meat is to do the will of the Father and to finish his work. And he's got this work in his mind. This is what he's in this sweet, innocent, meek Jesus has got this work in his mind. And when he's sitting there like that, when he's standing there, he's very much like Nehemiah. Very much like Nehemiah, who was enticed, who was being enticed to leave the work in Jerusalem, Nehemiah. Come down off that wall you're building, Nehemiah. Take this invitation and come down to this valley in Ono, Nehemiah. And Nehemiah responds in Nehemiah 6.3, Nehemiah 6.3. I sent messengers unto them saying, I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and come down to you? And Nehemiah, Nehemiah, for Nehemiah to become distracted by the hateful invitation, murderous, of murderous Sanballat, come down off the wall he was building, which was really coming down, he said, no, can't do it. And in like manner, for Christ to engage in arguing with the high priest and exposing the lies of the false witnesses, all that represented for Christ 
leaving the work that God the Father had given him to be the Messiah Lamb of God, take away the sin of the world, if Christ took that bait to defend himself against those lies that were told against him, he would be coming down and leaving the great work of becoming the messianic sacrifice for our sins. So what does he do? Instead, he remains on higher ground. Higher ground focused on being the Messiah Lamb. So when Christ hears the high priest ask him in verse 63, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be Christ the Son of God. This is where the high priest, he knew that Christ had claimed to be the Messiah. Like I said, a high priest, he could have written one of the Gospels. He knew forward and backwards. He knew that Christ had claimed to be the Messiah. He knew that Christ had claimed to be God. And that's why the high priest asked Christ to tell out loud, say it, if he was the Messiah and God. What the high priest was thinking that if Christ said out loud that he was the Messiah and God, that the high priest would have all he needed to condemn Christ to death. That's where the head of the high priest was. That's, where the, that's what the high priest was thinking in all this. But what the price, but what, what, what the high priest was totally oblivious to, totally unaware of, is that when he asked that question, In verse 63, tell us whether thou be the Messiah, the Son of God, or God the Son. The high priest is unaware that he is actually performing his formal duty of officially identifying for Israel who the Messiah is and who the God of Israel is. And that was what Christ, in the beauty of, Christ in the beauty of his presence there, that's what he heard. That's what Christ heard the high priest. When Christ heard the high priest say, ask him in verse 63, tell us whether thou be the Messiah, the Son of God. What Christ heard in that question was, oh, this is the high priest for Israel. It's his responsibility to tell the people of Israel who the Messiah is, who the God of Israel is, and he's just asked me to tell if I am that Messiah and God the Son, God of Israel. And that's why Christ, he he wasn't, you know, like, oh, I gotta tell. He wasn't forced. He was glad to step forward and to make the proclamation in response to the official high priest And he gives a giant, yes, he says, in in verse 64. Verse 64, Jesus saith unto him, thou hast said. In other words, you said, you put it perfectly. I couldn't put it better. And little did Caiaphas know that when he asked Christ that question, that Caiaphas was doing his duty as the high priest in identifying for Israel Jesus as the Messiah and Jesus as the God of Israel. And Christ saw this clearly, that Christ was just just doing this, even though Caiaphas didn't know what he was doing. It didn't matter. Christ saw clearly that Caiaphas was, Christ knew 
as far as that person goes, Caiaphas, the high priest, he's, he knew no way he's going to believe. Christ knew that. He was very much aware that Caiaphas personally was not going to believe that Christ was the Messiah and God. Therefore, before Christ even gave that answer to Caiaphas, Christ said to Caiaphas, Luke 22:66, Luke 22:66, Luke 22:66. As soon as it was day, the elders of the people, the chief priests and the scribes came together, led him unto their council, saying, "Art thou the Christ? Tell us." And he said unto them, "If I tell you, you will not believe." Tom Cantor's messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. For other free resources, email us at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. Join our live services on YouTube by searching Friendship with God with Tom Cantor every Sunday at 5.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.